Welcome to Fright Night. She just goes a little mad sometimes. Wolfman's got Mars. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. We have such sights to show you. You're listening to the Jersey Cool. Hey, everybody. What's up? And welcome back to another episode with the Jersey Ghouls. And we are still in school, y'all. And we are heading right straight through the decade by decade of horror. And I have to tell you, we're taking a little pit stop in the 1940s, and I'm here for it. I am. I was so excited because I'm like, yeah, fabulous 40s. But that's just because I like alliteration. And really, it's like, yeah, <laughs> World War II. Right. So, Less than not, fabulous. Yeah. Not, not great. Um, <laughs> there was a bit of a downer. A little bit, just a scooch, yeah. But uh, yeah, um, but but we got we got some really fucking good horror movies coming out of it. Yeah, it's so it's so true. Like if there's if there's ever been a good argument for why horror really is an inoculation to the things that we are dealing with in our real world, I think it's post World War II 1940s horror that really speaks to that. Because let's be honest, like 1930s, early 1940s, there's not much going on in the world of horror at all. And then when World War II really gets into the throes of being on all over the world, most of the world just blocks out the notion of and concept of horror altogether. So it's like post World War II world of horror that really fascinates me and i think what it's ironic because the one film is going to be like right in the middle of the war the next one's going to be right after the war right mm-hmm. and it's so it's just ironic to me how the tone of both of them are so like it, just dramatically yes. different um so tonight we're going to be covering wolfman from 1941 mm-hmm. and also uh abbott and costello me frankenstein from 1948 here's my shocking confession i had never seen abbott and costello mm-hmm. frankenstein that's my first note is this is my very first Abbott and Costello movie oh. ever. Oh my God. Yeah, like, me too. Ever. And here's the weird part. I sit down to watch it and let me just preface this. I know the difference between Abbott and Costello and Laurel and Hardy. But when I turned I it on, I think I instantly was looking for Laurel and Hardy. Oh my God. I have the same note. I swear <laughs> to God. I literally wrote team Laurel and Hardy where I'm confused. Where are they? Because yeah. I, I think I'm such a March of the Wooden Soldier slut that like, I I was just waiting for Laurel and Hardy. And you know, I have to say the two, the two sets uh, just have the exact same fucking shtick sans the Hitler mustache. Like it's, it's literally like unbelievable to me just how similar they are. I really, yeah, this, it was my first. And I have to say, I, I absolutely fell in love with a one Mr. Lou Costello. Oh, good. Because like, if you said Abbott, I was going to fight you right oh, here. No, no. Lou Costello him. is my jam and oh. I'm going to put him in my little pocket and I'm going to see him in M&Ms. Yeah. I love him. He, he's, we'll, we'll get to it. We I'm going to put him, yeah, I'm going to put him in a baby beard and we're going to run around. Yeah. Oh, that's um. perfectly fine. That's a great idea. <laughs> No, I'm with you. And it's so funny that you had this experience. For some reason, I thought you were a seasoned and veteran of Abbott and Costello because it's mm. me like you're usually more into that kind of stuff than I am. Um, but let's let's start with Wolfman, shall we? And kind of move our way shall. through. Um, I will say that before Wolfman drops, horror all over the world is nothing to write home about. Um, I think we see this really kind of interesting peak in the late 20s, early 30s. And then we have just a droll kind of factory of garbage coming out that is so forgettable and nobody cares about. And really, Universal's the only thing, the only company making profit off of horror. They're still churning out these monster movies. 
But what happens is Paramount comes along and says, oh, 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 and starts getting in on it. And then I think with the Wolfman, we see a turn again where it becomes a force to be reckoned with Universal Monsters. And I got to say, while it's not my favorite monster movie, Tabby might be one of my favorite Universal guys. Kaney Jr., I can, I always can take her leave. Like when, when you tell me quick Marissa Universal and I'm like, fuck you, Karloff. I'm like, Bella goes to your die. But the truth of the matter is I really liked his, the way he built this character in this film. It made me want, like, it made me almost make room in my heart for Lon Chaney Jr. There was, so I have one of the many renditions of like the Universal Horror Monsters box set. Uh, the one that I have, I think it's called like the Essentials Collection on Blu-ray. And each of the monsters has their own DVD, has the movie, and has a bunch of special features. And I was watching this special feature, and it was just all about the legacy of Lon Chaney Jr. Like it talked about who his father was and, you know, what his father has done for her um, as far as just creating the characters. Lon Chaney Sr. was the man of a thousand faces. And, you know, you look at Phantom of the Opera, uh, you know, everything that he had done. He did not want his son to be an actor. Um, He put him in plumbing school. He's like, go be a plumber, go do your thing. And it, it wasn't until, you know, basically the business sucked. His dad dies. He's like, I'm going to be an actor. Um, and it was, I think one of his agents that was like, look, your dad was Lon Chaney. You need to change your name to Lon Chaney Jr. And that will probably help you. Um, and it didn't really at all help him. Um, yeah, maybe it helped him a little bit. Uh-huh, maybe scooch. It maybe helped a little bit. Uh, but he he played Lenny in of mice of men of mice and men in yeah, Los arguably Angeles. yeah one of his biggest you know and roles. then they make the film. It's from that that he starts getting typecast though as kind of like these big ofy kind of dudes. Um, but what I love there was a, a movie reviewer that was talking about Lon Chaney Jr. and they said that you know he even though he's one of the main players of this universe, he's like, the guy probably has such a crick in the neck from constantly looking up at Karloff, at Lugosi, you know? But they said that like that kind of almost makes him like the underdog and it's why people like him so much. He's a, he's a fantastic actor and there's something like there he's, in, in this movie, and this one of my notes that like, he's a charming creeper in this movie. And- Yeah, cause I, you you know, I went off, I texted you and I was like ranting yeah. and raving about what a creeper his character is. But I, you're right, there's something he's, endearing. He's a charming creeper. And if I could get, and I had said to Marissa, I have a, a kind of a personal reason why I absolutely fell in love with the character the moment I saw him. Because I have never seen him in anything like I have never seen any Lon Chaney Jr. movies aside oh. from this one this is the only one I've seen I've never seen of Mice and Men but I kind of want to see now it's a great movie, um, yeah so I think I really only know him from this and watching it uh watching it this time I realized how much Lon Chaney Jr. looks like my grandfather on my mom's side and Aww. just a little bit of Brian if my Brian was taller not tall but like not taller because my my brother was a little he was tall and thin he was but if brian was more stocky i feel like he'd look like it but like my my mother's father was a guy named lou fox 
and Lon Chaney Jr., I see similarities. So I instantly, instantly had like a total, like just heart moment. Like every time I watched it, I was just like, it looked, you know, I never got to meet my grandfather. He passed away in a couple of years before I was born because my brother always made fun of me that he knew him and I didn't. And he's like, yeah, pop up. He didn't love you. I'm like, because I didn't exist. He didn't <laughs> know terrible. me. And he was like, mm, but he didn't love, gotta love, love me. Gotta love big brothers. Yeah, thanks. But no, he did. It, it, it reminded me of, of my family members enough that like, I kind of was just like, oh, you're you're peeping and creeping on a woman and you're being real pushy and you need to learn that no means no, but oh, you're adorable, Tal, but you're just, you're freaking adorable. That's fair. There was no, like, there, at no point did he cross a line that I was unwilling to forgive. He was just very, <laughs> like, handsomely cocky about it. You know what I mean? And he mm-hmm. owns that he spies on her, which I guess is some redemption. Um, it, and he's just, he's very, it's cute. It's almost cute. Like, it's the kind of shit that, like, it's the cocky guy who gives you too much, like, pushes too hard, but you find it secretly enduring and you're super down with it. It's not, it, at no point, in my opinion, does his character ever do anything that's, like, literally unforgivably cringy like you know and and i would not be you know i'd be not i not i wouldn't be willing to have this conversation if he did but that's that's adorable i'll have to look at a picture yeah yeah so to find one so yeah so this this film which originally is uh 1941 written by kurt sadmack who fled from nazi germany in 1937 gets away from the horrors and atrocities and uses this film to kind of very much write a what I love him calling it a Greek tragedy because it's like this idea of like the fate is coming, you see it coming, you know it's happening and you can't escape it. And I think there's something so poignant and so beautiful about the metaphor of him being the wolf man and and what was happening to people watching World War II go down and Nazi Germany happen and also what's happening today, right? There's so much of the sense of like, we see it all coming and there's nothing we can do and it's just such a horrible, horrible feeling. And it is all written like a great tragedy. So I'm always so adorably enamored with the history of this film because of um, Sedback and like how he used this film to kind of explore his own fears and his own realizations of just how much more horrible things we're going to get in Germany and with the Nazi regime. Um, of course, we could talk about how uh, Adolf Hitler and the Nazis often used werewolves, right, as as symbols of their own power. Uh, apparently, uh, dipshit Hitler had a had a like complete obsession with the idea of being like alpha wolf and like I believe if for correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't his, his name have a play on wolf of some sort? Um, now, this film also literally starts the tropes that we just take for granted today, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, and I was mind blown by this because I thought for sure looking at the history of like lycanthropes and like werewolves in folklore that we would get a bunch of the silver bullet shit and a bunch of the full moon shit, but it's not there. No. And it's really universal that creates that vibe, which to me is fascinating. The one thing this movie does often remind me and it, and it always makes me feel like such a butthole but in this movie Lugosi plays uh the character Bela oh and which I still it, think was a cheap shot at the, like I always imagined the feud between them to be so much more real than it actually was but it always just reminds me that that's actually how you say his name. No, I will not. How dare you? I'm I'm always like it's <laughs> Bella Lagosi, like you know Beauty and the Beast. Bella, uh, you're uh, you know, it's it's not Bella Lagosi. 
It's Bela. It's Bela, and, and I refuse. And yeah, and I'm always like, God, that is how you say his name. And I'm like, I'm a horror movie podcaster. I have a pedigree in horror. Bella Lagosi. Um, listen, if we're we're not gonna start, don't try to change me, baby. That's what I say. It's listen, I <laughs> I use a program at work that's called we call it Naviance, and it's spelled like an A V I A N S C E. And I went to a training with the person who like invented it and they were saying Naviance. They were like, oh, Naviance. And I was like, "Ah, what a dipshit, they're calling it wrong. Like I am, but here's the thing. And I said this to myself, like an hour after I literally laughed in this person's face who literally created the program calling it Naviance, right? And I was like, Naviance, you mean Naviance? That's, and literally, here's the thing. We don't navigate where we're going, right? We navigate where we're going. But I am so ingrained. And if you're listening to this and you ever either A, use Naviance to get through high school and college because every high school I know uses it or B, work for a college and know Naviance, you're going to laugh at this because I bet you you say Naviance too, but it's actually Naviance. And I'm like, down with it. I'm not going to say Bela, Bully, Bella. It's it's Bella? Bella? Bela. Nope, I refuse. No, it's Bella. <laughs> it's Bella. And it's Bella. It's like Twilight. It's it's Bella Lugosi. I have such a fierce, you know, it's funny because these two movies definitely made me realize Bella is not a good actor. <laughs> He's not. There, I said it. It's it's cathartic. We just spent an it's, hour episode uh-huh. previous praising the praising. man. And I will. I will go to my grave aggressively defending him, but just between, between, in anything, but just between okay. you, me, and the wall while I yeah. do my Bella hand at you. He's just, it's not a good actor. Don't tell anybody I said that, all right? <laughs> I don't want, I don't want word to get out. But the truth is he's not a good actor. And, and it's sad because I have such, it's like your great grandpa. You're like, fuck you. How dare you talk about grandpa that way? But deep down at the end of the day, and, and I also think I wouldn't have liked Karloff as the Wolfman. I'm glad he turned it down. I think Lon Chaney gave a certain depth to it as, as a genuinely good actor that the rest of them didn't. Hey, you know the dog who played Bila? Oh, when he turns dog? into the werewolf. Yeah. yeah. Or the wolf. Lon Chaney Jr. adopted the dog afterwards. He rescued him. Mm-hmm. I, I read that. I'm like, I'm excited. Oh. See, he was a dog person. Now as I love if him. I needed another reason I know. to love that now man. I, love I know. So stinking cute. Person. Can we talk about the father-son relationship in this movie? Because they were both the same age. Can we just get that? What That skeleton needs to come out of the closet. That one, you know what? I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I think the first time at the very beginning when he walks in, when he called him father, my instant reaction was like, as if, as if he was referring to a man of the cloth. And I'm like, oh, is he like a priest? There's, there's no way. Like, there's no way he had minute, that guy. That's supposed to be his dad? <laughs> Those like, actors were... I didn't get right away that like they were in another country. No, I didn't get right away that that was supposed to be like, he called him father. I'm like, oh, is he a priest? Like, and then they're talking about the telescope and the brother. And he talks to the dad. He's like, well, that was, he was a good man. Like as if they were talking business partners. I'm like, what the fuck is happening right now? I have to say the whole beginning of the movie for me is 10 minutes to go get your popcorn and your drink because I just, none of it is, is relevant and nothing's relevant until he starts, until he starts creeping on the girl at the shop. Um, also like, the, I'm sorry, like he is, first of all, can we bring canes back? I would love to just rock a cane. <laughs> I, it would be a bad bitch move, you know? Um, um, do you remember when we watched a little movie in college called Pimps Up, Hose Down? Do I? We lived our you lives by the code of the Pimps Up, Hose Down. 
Remember we had the little the little guys? What were they called? Homies. Homies. The homies collection. Those like, are bad. <laughs> canes in this day and age are for people for, that have a walking disability. Or cultural and, or, appropriation. Or right? yeah. Or, yeah. or or pimps up hose down. Right. Like, and that's I know I know better. Right. Pimp I know and better. ball. You know, if you're gonna go to the pimp ball. My God, I wish I get, I hope one day I get an invitation if that's real. Um, I also had to Google Wolfsbane because I was so sick of their little rhyme. And I was like, ah, I didn't, I didn't know Wolfsbane was, was a, I gotta be honest. I'm not a horticulturalist by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, I would say I have a black, a black thumb, but um, it's, it's apparently super toxic. If we need to poison someone, we got to put that in the back pocket because who knew? Although we're a little bit of Belladonna. Yeah. Wow. Out. Look at you, you classic. Out. Yeah, see, I don't know. Um, also, the dog that he does rescue that does attack looked like Dudley to me. Just saying, just throwing it out there. <laughs> so many reasons to love this movie. Um, yeah, and one of them is Twiddle. <laughs> the character Twiddle. Can you maybe, when we're whispering to me, nothing's referred to me as Twiddle moving forward because that, that'll do it for me. <laughs> so I can't call you Little Sparkle or Little Bukaki anymore. I have to call you Twiddle. So I'm not getting picky. I'm not saying replace my love, okay. my, my pet names. I'm saying add it to the repertoire of. I will. Of pet names. I will. Thank add you. Because Twiddle was a useless Keystone motherfucker in this movie, wasn't he? Oh god. He was. Yeah. It was. Like I wanted to be like, get your shit together, Twiddle. You have a job to do. Yeah, they don't. Fucking the, Keystones. Like some of the plot of this movie, like maybe not the plot maybe that's not fair maybe the scenes some of the scenes, the scenes yeah. yeah some of the scenes i'm Are like a little silly i really feel like they could have cut probably 15 minutes out of this 100 and like then the karens like, what is the point of the karens oh my god the slut shaming karens <laughs> they are slut shaming they are motherfucking karens yeah they were like the og karens and then the that but i have to be honest to me that was a turning point with talbot because i was like look at this motherfucker being like shut the fuck up get the fuck out of here like good yeah. for you um yeah. because uh, to be fair though she did leave her friend i'm just throwing it out there she she could have taken better care of her buddy while they were out in the gypsy woods together also i guess should we dive into the problematic representation of uh people from other countries in this film or no we could <laughs> or we can look at my note where i say oh another movie with gypsy caravans <laughs> okay to be fair i have the note oh another movie with gypsy caravans dot 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 oopsie poopsie tramps dot 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 <laughs> indigenous <You are>. people <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised you didn't just quote uh, a share song at that point you were like no gypsy strips and thieves i don't understand <laughs> i love that you write out your correcting of your own on pc-ness like you're so mm-hmm. woke i'm so proud of you <laughs> that you were like gypsy no indigenous no. people no. <laughs> you make me proud no. you make me no. proud um <laughs> I do think my hot take, another hot take I have on this is that when it, when you look at all these movies, the transformation scene's pretty dope, dude. Like I like the way they did the transformation scene in this movie. You know what? That is a lovely segue oh. to talk about the fantastic makeup artist, Jack Pierce. Mm. So Jack Pierce is responsible for the werewolf that happens in this movie and i mean you gotta you know think about it this is a time when it's practical effects you know there there is no other way to do it and i like how it was just kind of that very slow transition of a little bit more hair 
and a little bit more hair. I thought it was very clever that the first time we see him transform, we just kind of see his legs get hairy. And then it just cuts to a scene where he's full werewolf. Like, I think they were very smart, but what they had to work with, I thought it was done so well. Keep in mind that Jack Pierce is responsible for the monsters that we know. You know, if you close your eyes right now and think Frankenstein, Mm -hmm. the Frankenstein that you think of is Jack Pierce's Frankenstein. The Bride of Frankenstein is because of Jack Pierce. Karloff's The Mummy is because of Jack Pierce. Jack Pierce is, he he has made these monsters iconic to us, you know, going near a hundred years later. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, it's it, what blows my mind is just how well it holds up right like that's that's yes. the testament to good special effects good practical effects um because even like <laughs> i found myself giggling at abbott and costello for the the bat all i could think of was what we do the shadows i just i yelled the bat at the screen every time <laughs> um but i literally yeah you're right you're so right and one of the things too that like just to kind of dip back circle around real quick to to the gypsy thing is like i think there's a very thematic relevance to the way that the scene where the where the the guy from the the church, I guess I would assume the Catholic Church, um, and the woman are kind of arguing about what they're going to do with the body. I, mm-hmm. There wasn't a lot of meat on this. Like when I watch a Universal film, sometimes I like I'm like, oh, I don't have to think. <laughs> like this isn't right. going to be. But this film actually like had a lot of interesting things. Like I thought it was a really interesting story about like the marginalized person who because they're different gets treated so poorly by the population especially coming from uh state who who is literally writing an allegory for jewish people in the face of the quote-unquote wolf of of you know germany and so there's a lot of interesting kind of things you can unpack there and to me what made me like happy that we we threw this movie in the mix is that there's there's actually there's an academic discussion discourse to be had I did, here i really i liked that scene in the sense of you know bela's mother comes in and she's like yeah this is how we do it you know this is how we'll lay him to rest and he's all like no no it's fine we'll do it my way and you know he walks away and i like that she walks over to the casket she opens it up and she's like we're gonna do it my way. I and know. She gives bad. her a little she's, spiel, and she's a bad bitch. She's a hero she, in this film. I like, re- and I love that she kind of gave him like the gypsy last rites because he did kind of, you know, he kind of on uh, on uh, without consent, he kind of became a part of the gypsy culture because he ended right? up getting bit, surviving, and then in that whole mix. Well, there's and there's speaking. It's funny you say without consent. Uh, there's definitely a metaphor to be had here for 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 rape and sexual assault because I I feel like nobody believes him. Right? Like he knows what's been done. He's been violated. It, there's almost a slight irony to the fact that he's he has been violated in this way because he does kind of become he is the the predator a little bit at the beginning of the film. He mm-hmm. gets victimized. And then he becomes marginalized for it. And he's everybody victim blames and nobody believes him. And like, to me, it's like, wow, what a fucking poignant statement on victimization and trauma and how like, and thank God his dad finally does kind of come around. And like, there's almost like a, again, there's layers. I, I, it's like, I don't know if I just hadn't seen this in so long or what, but I was like, oh, that's definitely the case for me. Yeah. But now here, so here's something I thought of, and I don't know if it is. I'm assuming it's not done on purpose. I think it's kind of just happenstance, but jumping from 
the 1930s where we had Dracula and we have society not allowing Dracula to bite men in the movie because, you know, that's in a because two dudes can't do that. Right. A decade later, I feel like the werewolf attack is still a very intimate situation. 100%. And now and it's we usually have, a metaphor for sexual yeah, assault. Yeah, and now we have a man biting another man. Like now, mm-hmm. to be fair, the wolf originally was killing Jenny, killing the woman. But when Talbot came after him and those two started to go to blows, like is there something to be said that maybe on some level we're okay with you know 1940s and two dudes doing that or am i just trying to read into it because i want that kind of positive lgbtq in the 40s i mean i think if anything they had to be careful not to play that that role because don't forget in in you're talking what 12 years earlier they wouldn't allow uh dracula to to bite any men so there's there's still the homophobia to it all but i think you could definitely make an argument for the maybe a homoerotic subtone to it a little break Um, just yeah breakthrough i I like it yeah so the other thing i was hoping we can dive into is this idea of clinical uh lycanthropy because there's been so there's 24 marked cases in the history of clinical psychology where people suffer from what is basically a complete breakdown where, but here's the fascinating part of it. If you don't mind, I'm going to read this real quick. Um, it So clinical ther- uh, theoretical lycanthropy is caused by a physical imbalance in the brain, particularly the cerebral cortex, obviously, is responsible for the person's perception that their body is physically going through a transformation. What makes this so amazing, though, is that when they monitor the brain of the person as they, pr- and I hate to say pretend because that's that's not professional, but that as they go through their quote unquote transformation, the brain displays unusual levels of activity in all the areas of the cerebral cortex responsible for aggression and like, and even in the limbic system, like our most primal cortex regions. And basically the person will actually take on physical manifestations, including brain waves, phantom limbs, uh, all this other crap where when these people who have suffered from this idea of being a shapeshifter or a lycan- lycanthrope, they will literally believe themselves be to be turning into a certain animal and it's often not just dogs dogs tend to be one or wolves tend to be one of the most common ones but believe it or not the second most popular one was snakes like what up nangini um (laughs) but what's interesting is that like of all these cases when they're going through their transformation which is basically just a nervous break from reality their whole body actually transforms how crazy is that that well you know what the brain is the most like scary, okay. fucked up, unknown computer. So it doesn't surprise me. It yeah, does not surprise me that 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 can actually happen with people. And there is, of course, a rich history of like you know in folklore and in even in what I one of the things that I didn't know that I found most interesting when looking into the history of all the like werewolf mythology is just how intertwined with which trials werewolf trials were at one point Mm -hmm. in medieval europe like i didn't know that i thought that was really interesting this idea that a lot of men were being persecuted as werewolves right a lot or warlocks or or shapeshifters alongside women um and i also think that it's interesting when you look at this idea of our fascination with werewolves as an evolution of our most primal selves and our secret wish to return to that primal self see Here's where, here's where I, I got a little, I got a little touchy with that because at the same time in my same kind of sentence about where 
the Karens were coming in slut shaming her. Um, it, it, it touched on a very sensitive subject for me. And that is the idea of men and women being able to be friends without some sort of sexual something between them. Like just literally people being platonic friends, which I know in this case, Talbot absolutely wanted to get into her pants and That's on some level example. she wanted to get into his uh, yeah so this wasn't the they, best they had they had feeling like she was but ready like, to be like let's go i'll leave with you but like you in know? the beginning at least you know it's it, it it's a bit of the i guess maybe a little bit of the ophelia syndrome where she she doth protest too much um kind of thing you know but I, I don't know like it just it touched on like especially after he met the fiance like once he met her fiance he was like, okay, cool, fiance, whatever. Yeah, he um, and you know, and like even when he saw them together, tried to give them their space. And I have to give credit to the fiance who was like, no, I want to show that I'm not jealous. Like he was he was a secure dude. Yeah. Be friends. He, he's probably a cool guy, you know. I mean, he's also your boss, but like whatever. Um, yeah. you know. Yeah, a little, no, be nice. no judgment, but a little judgment, right? Well, um, I don't know. Like it was just one of those things where it's like they were slut shaming her and then it's like well why can't they just be friends it's okay that they're just friends but then yeah i realized they're like well they're gonna get makey outy at some point yeah yeah and yeah i mean that that must be see i don't have that experience i think it's just testament to your personality because i don't not that i don't have friends who are males because i do but i do feel like nine there's most often when there's a when it's someone who is of the gender or sex that you are attracted to it does add a layer a mild layer of complication to it all but i do think that you are of a certain personality that you're really good at that and a lot of us aren't so i think that's admirable and i don't think it has anything to do necessarily with anything other than your person like a testament to your personality but yeah i get how that trope might be annoying though so this movie had a tragic ending sadly yeah uh so talbot's father thinks he's like killing the wolf and saving the day um and it turns out he killed his son i mean he still saved the day but he killed his son and it's it's a it's a trope of werewolf movies that it it kind of had to to be i feel like to be a really good werewolf movie you kind of have to have this tragic ending and like this instantly made me think of american werewolf in london i mean he's got to die at the end you know the loved one has to kill him at the end and yeah that's that's you fair. know this idea of the werewolf as a, as a greek tragedy is some, is, mm-hmm. is kind of makes it more exciting for me i think the exception that i can think of off the top of my head badass werewolf movie that doesn't end tragically like that would be ginger snaps mm, ginger snaps doesn't movie. have that tragic ending yeah uh, so i don't i don't want to say that only the cream of the crop werewolf movies have that tragic yeah. ending because ginger snaps that's that's Cursed a special place didn't either heart. I mean, I guess it kind of did, but have I seen? I probably the seen West Craven one, one, right? Yeah, is that the one with uh with Christina, Christina Ricci? Ricci? Yeah, you know, I, like I probably watch. I probably watched that when it yeah. first came out. I I probably haven't seen that in like a decade yeah. and a half. That got, that got that wedged one, into that like mid nineties, like you know, post yeah. Williamson horror. But it um, definitely brought me right to American Werewolf in London, and it's like you have to have, like for for the redemption, like you have to have them you have to have them die and it makes yeah. me sad because you love them you love them you so do. Much. like yeah. they they have to they gotta go yeah i was more attached to lariat by the end of this film than i thought i was ever gonna be 
um, which is a testament to the storytelling and the acting. So uh, should we shift right into the goofiness? And I got to be honest with you, pound for pound, 1948's Abbott Costello me, Frankenstein, I giggled in spite of myself so many times watching this movie. And it was my first watch, yeah. And I know who's on first, and I was actually going to kind of ask you if you thought the, the who's on first reference has lived, like survived through history, because I gotta be honest, I don't know that it has. Like, I feel like I often will make the who's on first joke if people are confused about something. And I don't know that it lands with kids today. Like, I don't think they get it. Yeah, I don't think they know. I feel like our generation, I think that probably died with our generation. Cause I certainly Aww. grew up knowing, knowing the getting who's on that first reference. Thing. Right, like- Yeah, like I, yeah. I got it. Right, I, but yeah, like, I, yeah. I, yeah, I don't think they, I think that reference kind of goes, goes with our generation. You know, I don't think that generations after us have that. I think that the whole who's on first thing, our generation was close enough to it that we still knew about it. I don't know the generations after us though. I think they, they might be, unless they're nerdy film students, <laughs> I think they're too, I think they're too far removed from Abbott True. and Costello, Yeah, you know? And, and I, I really do like, so again, I find it, it's so fascinating that we're both new to this because we're both such horror people and such, you know, fans of just film in general that I'm surprised we're, I just, I didn't, I grew up with Laurel and Hardy. We watched March of the Wood Soldiers. We watched all that kind of stuff. Um, But, and if I had to choose, I think I would choose Laurel and Hardy pound for pound. I'm going to throw this out there. I think Abbott's a dick. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I know that's the character. Like I get it. Like I get that that's the spiel. But it's the same thing with Laurel and Hardy. Like you have this adorable character, this adorable person who's just bullied and victimized. Yeah, you have to have you have to have a straight man, and then you have to have kind of like Aww. you know the the chubby. Well, why does he have to be mean? The chubby idiot kind of character, not not idiot, but like you know. Well, I mean, I, it's one of those things where like, of course, the fat guy is going to be the one. No, that's okay. Go ahead. Sorry, sorry. It's it's kind of that. Um, I don't know. I don't want to say discrimination because I don't know that that's the right word. But it's like the the clumsy kind of dumb character. They're always the fat characters. You know, it's like it's it's always. I know, which is offensive. As yeah, a, as a like of substance. It's, just, it's always offended. that character. I know. And I just... you know, it's same thing with Laurel and Hardy. You have to have the straight man, and then you have to have like kind of the fat, goofy character. Um, even though both Laurel and Hardy, I mean, they're all they're all very goofy. I haven't seen enough Abbott and Costello to to know if this is just yeah, really. Yeah. Oh, okay, um, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I, I, I need to see more purely, if yeah. I'm gonna pick Laurel and Hardy over Abbott and Costello. I've only seen two or three that I can think of in like like recent history. Like I would say in the last 10 years, I've seen like two or three Laurel and Hardy movies. So I want to see more Abbott and Costello. Um, But yeah, I'm not going to lie. I'm probably going to pick Abbott and Costello just because Lou Costello um, stole my heart. He did. He did. I I did. I mean, I not only wanted to take him home, but I also like, I just, so many like I love and miss like and this is why I always say his girl Friday will always be one of my all-time favorite comedies because in that film they speak so fast and every time I've ever gotten a professional critique on what I do whether it's uh, journalism and radio stuff video stuff whether it's my professional career and teaching the only criticism I get from is that people can't keep up with how fast I talk <laughs> and 
I love that they're so it's so quick witted. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I love like what the part when he's like, I I'm in a union, and he's like, I work sixteen hour days, and he's like, I thought you said you were in the union. He's like, I'm in two unions. Like it's just the delivery like of every line. Like you just it's so fucking funny. I had two like legitimate laugh out loud. Like the first time it happened, there was a straight up belly laugh is when when Costello breaks the fourth wall. There is a part <laughs> in the beginning when he meets that Joan woman for the very first time. And he's like, she's beautiful. And Abbott is like, she's beautiful. And Lou Costello, he like looks at the camera and gives it like a, huh, right? She's hot. I was not expecting that fourth wall break. And I like, I legitimately like, I, I, had a, I had a nice laugh. And then he does it again at the very end when he goes to rip the tablecloth off and like keep the, all the dinnerware on it. Like when he does that tablecloth trick, he gives the audience a look before he does it. I'm like, I lost it. I, I, when he did the, I lost it with the tablecloth too. I loved it. And then when he absolutely like, pissed myself with that fourth wall break, that because that me- was not something I was expecting. For some reason, I'm like, they don't break the fourth wall in the 1940s. Right, right. I don't know why I had that thought. And it was, oh my God, I absolutely loved it. Uh, like, you know what line like made me belly laugh hard when he was like, Larry Talbot's like, you know, in a half an hour, the moon's going to rise and I'm going to turn into a wolf. <laughs> and he's like, you and 20 million other guys, like just little stupid high And like, I know, like most people who know me know what a cornball I am and how half of my jokes barely land because they're so ridiculously like, I feel like this is my sense of humor. Like this is my wheelhouse, like really goofy ass jokes that like are just, you can't help but chuckle at. Like you just, you know. That was, so one of the, one of the reasons why Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein is- like it's up there. It's fantastic is because you've got the goofy nature of Abbott and Costello. And now we are going to take these very serious horror movies. We've got Bella Lugosi. We've got some guy that is not Boris Karloff. (laughs) And we've got Lon Chaney Jr. Bringing their iconic, scary, universal, serious death uh, horror monsters and we're going to put them in this really goofy movie and they're going to act really goofy. It's like so Bella Lugosi fucking acts bizarre. Like can we talk so about goofy much, in this oh, movie? It breaks my heart though. Okay, what? here's why it like pains me to watch this movie. First of all, the, do you know the reason why he kept covering his face so much was because he still thought at that point that like he had a chance of being a real actor and like, not getting typecast as Dracula and he thought that if maybe he covered his face when he was trying to be scary but then showed his face when he was being funny or serious that people would want him to be in more movies. I was curious as well. At first I thought he was doing that. I, my my instinct was I'm like oh I'm like oh is that not Bella Lugosi I'm like are they is there another actor yeah, that's why no. they keep covering the face he, like they he made that choice like they they kept asking him not to and he would cover his face when he was being like Bella um because he was he wanted so badly to be in more movies and he looks older and then like he tries to be acty and it doesn't end well um and it makes and like i think lon Lon cheney jr was so 
perfect for the 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 vibe like it's funny because it's it's it should have been they meet the wolf man or they meet dracula that's what it should have been called because they maybe have 10 seconds of time and it's a scooby-doo game with with frankenstein you know what i mean like but i i think you're right like so apparently the original script was super serious and horror driven and abbott and costello were like we can't this is not this is us like this won't work and i agree i think that it had to it had to be a comedy but God, it makes me, it breaks my heart for you, for Lugosi. I just feel like it's so awkward for him. You don't think so? That's, you didn't get that vibe? No, I just got excited that we have these like <laughs> serious characters. Doing goofy shit. Just being goofy and silly. Like to me, it was like, I it don't know. It was fun. Yeah. It was humanizing a- in some way that like they're was. just, you know, I they did. can poke fun at themselves. They have, you know, at this point, they're already up there. They're mm-hmm. the universal monsters. And to me, it was like, if you, I always, always appreciate when someone can poke fun at themselves. I'm not saying you have to be like just a 24 seven self-deprecating, but like when you can poke fun at yourself, to me, that's the best kind of personality. Someone that takes themselves too seriously, that cannot take a joke, you know, that, it, that's never appealed to me. Like I need you to be able right. to- laugh at yourself i think that's why i've made a good career out of laughing at myself so i agree with you like i really have like i never like i I think if pound for pound the one thing people say is like oh you're funny like you know what i mean like and i'm with you i think but i okay there is one part of the movie that i hated and i wish we could flush down the toilet Okay, and that is when the very strong so like i i got so bad what i realized is she was working for for Dracula, because I was like, fuck yeah, Costello gets not one, but two hot bitches. What up, motherfuckers? Like, I was so down. And then I was like, oh, she's trying to steal his brains. And I was bummed. But then she has a moment where she's like, I'm not doing this. And then she, motherfucking misogyny, patriarchal bullshit, it's best. Because she's like, fuck you. I, you can't do that to me. I'm fucking strong. I hate that they had the wherewithal to make her character be like, no, fuck you, motherfucker. You can't, Van Hel- you didn't get Van Helsing. You're not going to get me. And then he immediately fucking rewatches her. And I was like, God damn it. Like, I was so excited that her character was going to get some sort of like redemptive arc. And instead yeah. she just became a vampire. But I tell you what, comic gold later when she's like going to get thrown out the window. That's one of the last <laughs> notes I have. Is, oh, damn. Frank threw her she out the window. She bitch deserved it. Number one. Yeah, you get yours. And you number you. two, you wanna- straight up you out the fucking window fast and loose with costello that's right going out the you window play, right you deserve this i am protective of his sweet baby angel heart number one yes and number two um i love <laughs> i love the scene where he's trying like he's like hiding from her like hiding his neck and shit it's fucking oh god it's so funny i have to admit i think i would revisit this again often oh i absolutely will i want to own this one like i said this was my first experience ever with abbott and costello i need more one of my notes is 15 minutes in i adore this movie and i want more like i'm ready like i i've already started to flip through like adding some stuff on my amazon wish list um that you know what and this we do this from time to time and every time we like kind of dip back to like real horror history like when we did the blob from the 60s or the 50s, I'm like, I want more old movies. Having do, having to do these black and white movies has made me so happy because it makes me realize I really, really enjoy these old black and white movies. Like they 
they're they're just I don't know there's something about them I it, it I it's really true. yeah I really want to do more like I really even if it's not for the show if it's just for my own personal viewing it always reminds me of how much I do absolutely adore these black and white movies and yeah like I'm ready to eat up like the entire box set collection of Abbott and Costello that I I'm I'm on. gonna rely on you as per usual it would be total mooch to rely on you to get it and then borrow it like sure. I do with 99% of stuff yeah I'm I'm with you I I want to watch all their stuff because every time like the more I think about the movie the more I think about like I feel like I would quote that like I could this is a very quotable movie like with the part where he was yeah. like um I don't I have a date tonight he's like you what you you have a date with destiny he's like can't that guy take destiny like it's just fucking hilarious like there's and I'm just such a like I don't know this is right in my wheelhouse since if you were wise Costello not Abbott fuck that guy <laughs> that's the thing I want to see more Abbott because I want to see Abbott be a he's little just bit gonna more be dick in all the movies that's his character I don't, I don't want I want to see it not be that way all right um, well maybe I'm wrong you, but you like audience let me know maybe I'm wrong because I feel like with Laurel and Hardy that's the shtick he's he's mean and abusive to Hardy or Laurel which why I can't tell them about. I think I don't think is it Laurel's the, they're oh, is yeah. always mean yeah, he is in at least the, all the movies I've ever watched with the two of them, where he's like abusive towards them. The chubby one's abusive towards her. Oh, Lord. Wait, let me stand. Stan's the nice one. No, the one that I saw, the the one I can't remember the name of the movie, but the one that that I've seen most recently, like they both were just kind of like, they both were kind of like the bumbling idiots, but it was kind of goofy, like almost like Chaplin esque. I think it was a silent. Film. We might have to dive. We might have to do a deep dive special edition here of Jersey right. Bulls for Laura Lenhardy and Abbott Costello. I think it's and time. We're gonna do a special edition. <laughs> so one of the the notes that I wrote is thinking of Laurel and Hardy, thinking of Abbott and Costello. Do we have any comedy duos today? Tons, don't you think? I think Will Ferrell and John C. Riley are a Abbott and Costello-esque team because they have been in a, quite a few movies together as a duo in different capacities and have slayed it in every single one. So like their stepbrothers, there's Shake and Bite, we're Shake and Bite, what's that one? Um, they work really well together, but you're right. I don't know that they iconically, if you talk about them, they're gonna, I can, yeah, Talladega Nights, that's the other one. Talladega Nights. I don't know that you would iconically immediately think of them as a duo yeah but they've made some really good movies together the other duo that i loved together and wished would do more together were jonah hill and uh what's his name magic mike channing tatum 21 and 22 jump street fucking kill me and oh, like yeah. they've got the 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 funny like the vibe like the partner vibe going but no yeah. i don't think right you know, who are we missing anybody I don't know. I, you know what? I don't know. I'm sure I've seen Jonah Hill in movies, but he's just one of those people where I look at him and I'm like, you're probably a dick. Like, I don't know. I feel oh, like he's the, a that's dick the in big, real life. The big joke, in fact, amongst. What about Tina Fey and Amy Poehler? They might be, they might qualify. Tina Fey isn't funny, remember? <gasps> why do you fucking say shit that pisses me <laughs> off? Why do you, why? Why do you do that to me? <laughs> oh, I know who we can say Ben Stiller and wow, Owen Wilson. Wow. Oh, wow. Wow. Owen Wilson. I agree to that. Right? Like they're funny. You know, what? it was funny. I watched the beginning, just the beginning of Wedding Crashers recently. I was talking about yeah. it to somebody at work. Just kind of, I forget even how the topic came up. And, and I was, I said something about Wedding Crashers. And I'm like, I don't really want to watch Wedding Crashers, no. but I like like the I first 15 minutes of Wedding Crashers when they're setting stuff up. I'm like, that mm. part's funny. When you have that's that fair. Like, first, 
like the 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 first little like marriage mediation and then when you get into like that whole montage of them crashing weddings yeah that part's funny that's and then I'm fair like, all right the rest of the movie I'm done, really yeah funny. <laughs> I'm i done. can't i can't with that I'm movie done. i think i, I love have vince it. vaughn but i don't love oh, owen yeah. wilson mm. and you know who else Me. in hollywood that i really think is probably a dick in real life and i cannot stand him who? is fucking what's his nuts oh i can't think of his name bradley cooper i think bradley cooper is probably an asswipe in real life <laughs> I mean, I, you're probably I not why. wrong. David Spade and Chris Farley. They were to there me. There we modern, go. Right? Thank you. There right, we that's go. That's the modern day Laurel I'll call Hardy, that. Or, Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's And I'm going to tell oh, I'm, I'm going to give Google, I Dr. Google like credit, credit for that fart one. face but, for not thinking of that me one. Me too. I just didn't think of it. I will say, <laughs> Tina, I would I would die on the Tina Fey, Amy Poehler Hill, because I love them. That's fair. That's but, fair. Um, be, and I think it's cool that it's two females, but I also am not stupid enough to not acknowledge that a lot of people think their movies are, together aren't that good. Like Baby Mama and uh, the one the sisters. I recognize that those movies are not for everybody, but I just love them because I love the two of them so much. But yeah, I think Farley and Spade is the winner there. there you right? Go. Those guys killed it together. Especially because you also have like the physical appearance. You have like yeah, you the, had the little, little guy, guy and then guy. you got the big goofy back. And like so. to be with Tommy Boy, they hit the perfect like Tommy's like the big goofy love ball and then the other one's a dick. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, and I quote, I would say not a day goes by that I don't quote uh yeah, um, you you say shnikes more than anybody else. Shnikes, you do say shnikes a lot. I often go fat girl little coat too. I'll do that shtick. Oh yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Um, also prior, and I think we're forgetting prior and wilder too. If we're gonna we're gonna call oh true classic true. classic true. I can't think of anybody else though. No, like I don't I don't know like I don't know that that's the thing. I don't know that people want to make the same movies together anymore. Like I feel like. I don't know. It's 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 interesting though. If we're forgetting anybody, let us know. I'm I'm sure yeah. there's there's comedy duos out there we're not thinking of. Probably. Um, but I think you hit the nail on the head with with yeah yeah I think so too because I, really I was like there's somebody I'm missing from the 90s. And you know, well you know what though, and everybody I'm thinking of though, like like with Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder, like they're older. Like that's definitely older that's generation. True, I wouldn't right. call them modern. Because- what are they 70s? Right. That's 60s and 70s. Yeah. Just like Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi. But again, all those old SNL guys. Yeah, that's going way back. Well, even like the Three Amigos team, like when you think about it, I, in my head, Chevy Chevy Chase and like Steve Martin and uh, like those guys, and they're still, they are still making movies together, right? They just put that new show on Hulu together. And I haven't seen it. I've heard it's really good, but. I love Martin Short. So I I have been interested in watching that new one. Love, love Martin Short. Fucking Clifford, bro for the win Clifford, oh my time. god when he came out with jiminy glick like that used to be my game <laughs> i've like, never I still seen will watch clips of jiminy glick like really? he's so have you not seen that no I'll have oh to my god he's like he's the whole premise is he isn't he's a he's like a reporter he's interviewing people but like he has no idea what the fuck like who he's interviewing he asks the most asinine questions and he just <laughs> That he's sounds so amazing. Sassy. He's like sassy and he's got a sassy wife that I, I don't know that you ever see the wife, but he always talks about her. I'm going to have to send you some clips because he's just so funny. And it's Martin Short in a fat suit. And it's, I don't know. It's just that he does that no sounds wrong to me. And he melts my heart. So <laughs> um, my, my last note on Abbott and Costello is the final scene of the movie, the final moments of the movie okay. and the epic, the epic cameo from the invisible man. <laughs> 
It made me so happy. I, it just, it hits for me. It hit, everything it just does. hits and makes the me happy. The Invisible Man. I mean, how perfect is that? Is who are we going to end the movie with? The, the Invisible Man. Man. Was so, there a sequel okay. to this? Like, were there any other movies where they? I just love the fact that The Invisible Man was Vincent Price. <gasps> what? Did you not recognize that I, voice? I I don't know how I missed it. Holy it shit! I don't Vincent know how Price. I missed it. Oh yes! man, am I, man, am I, I glad do. you pointed that out? I was so excited. Wow, oh, that's my boyfriend. That's Vincent Price. They also starred Abbott Costello go to Mars. Abbott Costello meet Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, and uh, Abbott and Costello meet Captain Kidd. So I'm in for all there's, of this. There's also Abbott and Costello meet the mommy Killer Karloff or something there's an abbott and costello with boris karloff really huh there is so Dude, there's one called abbott costello meet the keystone cops <laughs> i'm gonna put that one on my list so, so as we mentioned earlier so boris karloff the frankenstein's monster was in this movie but it was not played by boris karloff but boris karloff did do promotional work for this movie even though he was not playing Frankenstein's monster in this movie, which I don't know if that had something to do with his contract or if he just was like, fuck you, I don't want to do it. But he did the promotional work for it. And then mm. he went on to star in another Abbott and Costello movie. So, That's so weird. Yeah, huh. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know yeah. what the. You know what I say? Yeah. Karloff, fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> God, I love that movie. Dude, I seriously, I think my family thinks something wrong with me because the entire time, and he did it so many times in this film. It's the way he bends his fingers. And in case for those yeah, of you at home, I'm just, doing the Bella Lugosi fingers right now. I just, I can't do it. Like two of them like are he bent. Keeps his fingers and three together, are straight, but, like, but then they're apart and they're long. It's magical. I'm going to spend my is. whole life trying to do it. And it's good work for my arthritis fingers. It was like Somebody. it really hurts my wrist when I do it. Does. I, can't, I can't do the Lugosi hand. Oh my god, I love hurt. the Lugosi. I wish I could do the Lugosi hands. I sit around and I just practice. I just you can't try. do it. Just do my Lugosi hands. Um, I yeah, it's funny. It's like my he's my grandpa. I'm gonna defend him aggressively till the day I die. Um, I love this series that we're doing. I love that we're traveling, traversing through all these films that we usually would kind of just. I don't know, just chalk up. It's like one of those things. It's like when you just forget that they exist. You forget how yeah. meaningful they are and how fun they are. Um, but we're going to keep heading right through, right through the, the, the month of October. Um, I'm super excited to now head into the 50s, which I will tolerate on your behalf because you know how I feel about sci- 50s sci-fi movies. And then um, then we can hit the, the good stuff, the 60s and 70s beats. But this is fun. These, these, these revisiting the decades have been a fantastic, fantastic exercise in just- yep appreciating where it all comes from and if you haven't sat back lately and watched a good old-fashioned black and white movie then hey the month of october is a fantastic time to do it because probably now more so than ever on all the streaming services that we all have you're probably going to find some cool ass old horror movies mm-hmm. and there's so many cool challenges out there like I, I have to give a shout out to the fright school guys they came up with a, yeah. they found a really cool challenge for the 31 days of halloween that i love and also i just want to say for we we are getting a lot of new listeners these days to welcome one and all to everybody who's joined us who has been liking subscribing reviewing um i love that we are growing it makes me excited and nervous for the future because i'm like how can we keep bringing amazing content and not sell out and 
And if anybody is around, remember, you're like, I'm okay with that. I have no, no qualms. If anybody's around at the end of the month, we are going to be heading to Monster Mania this year. We're going to be representing not only Jersey Ghouls, but also Renegade Film Festival. Stop by the booth, say hi, tell us you love us. We'll tell you we love you. We'll hang out. We'll do some sh- shit talking about horror. I adore meeting people in real life who listen to the show. It's one of my absolute favorite things in the world. That is the weekend of the 22nd, correct? Yep, it is October 22nd, 23rd, and 24th at the Greater Philadelphia Expo Center in Oaks, Pennsylvania. That's right. And also, thank you to every one of our loyal friends who are out there hitting the pavement for Jersey Ghouls. I want to give a shout out to all of our awesome podcast peoples, too. I also want to remind everybody that Renegade Film Festival is still open through December's going to be here soon, man. We're going to be shutting the doors down. We're going to be locking locking the doors down and starting to dole out awards, man. And it's an exciting time of year, but you still have two more months to get those films and scripts and whatever have you in. If you need a discount code, if you need more information, hit me on Marissa at renegadefilmfest.com. And Jackie, do your thing. We hope you guys have enjoyed the 1940s as much as we have. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on social media. Just search Jersey Ghouls and you will find us there on your favorite podcasting app and at jerseyghouls.com. Oh! Who said I see walking in these woods? Why, it's Little Red Riding Hood. Hey there, Little Red Riding Hood. You sure are looking good. You're everything a big bad. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.